0: We need to talk today about how some dirt tracks handle rubber down situations, plus we'll dive into a fun weekend of racing at Volusia, people again mad at Lincoln Speedway, and more, let's go. It's Monday, February 20th. I'm Justin Fiedler. This is Dirt Tracker Daily. I know we had some big shows over the weekend at Volusia. We'll get into those in a bit, but I wanted to start today off with the 360 sprint cars at East Bay. There are a couple of things that happened that I want to talk about kind of around the racing. East Bay avoided the Friday rain that affected other shows in Florida, and in the night's main event, Aaron Reitzel took advantage when Danny Martin Jr. got trapped on the bottom behind the lap car of Tyler Clem. Reitzel rolled the high side in three and four and beat Martin back to the line for the victory. On Saturday though, things were a complete mess. As happens from time to time, the track took rubber and it did it early. The surface went black and shiny pretty quick and you could see that those right rears were not going to make it to the end. The first caution for a flat was for Sam Teep with still 18 laps to go and he would be the first of many who would suffer uh, the flat right rear. It only took like 12 or 13 minutes to get the race past halfway, but uh, it then took something like 45 minutes to finish the rest with all of the cautions. The race did go red with 13 to go, and uh, the track decided to make it an open red. And under that period, teams were able to make adjustments, add fuel, but any tire changes resulted in starting at the tail. And there were a few takers, including Aaron Reitzel. And this brings me to my first point. I don't understand why they didn't just let teams bolt on a new right rear right at that moment with the open red. Avoid some of the cautions to come, admit there are issues, and try and get it to the end. Nobody wants to watch a race that goes under caution every lap or two because of flats. This was their chance to fix it, and they chose not to, and I don't get that line of thinking. Even with the rubber, though, we did have some pretty good action. Guys got their elbows out, where you know they were kind of rooting each other up off the bottom to make passes, and it wasn't the least entertaining rubber-down race I've seen. In the end, being the first guy with a flat worked out in Haverkeep's favor as he was in the catbird seat late, drove off to the win. He topped Max Stambaugh, Terry McCarroll, Reitzel, and Ryan Timms. The other problem I had with Saturday night had to do with the announcing. And I'm going to pick on Chris Steppen here a bit, but this is true of a good number of dirt racing announcers around the country. You know, it doesn't matter, track, certain series. I don't understand why so many guys calling these races refuse to acknowledge a rubber down racetrack. It's clear to everyone at home and everyone on the property what is happening so talk the audience through it don't dance around it and pretend like all these flat right rear tires aren't connected it's part of dirt racing nobody wants it to happen but we get it sometimes it does instead say here's what's happening use it as an opportunity to educate the fans talk about what the drivers are facing how they're going to navigate it what the crews need to be prepared for etc i know track promoters would rather pretend that it's not happening Uh, They don't want it advertised. And, you know, maybe that influences how the announcers handle it on the mic, but it's super lame. We're not stupid. Don't treat us like we are. And I know that calling races in these booths isn't an easy thing to do. I have friends who are announcers. And no matter how someone chooses to go about it, there will always be complainers. It's such a subjective thing. But this seems like an easy fix here. I think the audience deserves a little more respect in these cases. uh, And, you know, tell us what's going on, understand that we know what's going on, and just have a little more respect for who's watching. I uh, had Volusia over the weekend. The Friday night shows were lost to rain, but we did get some fantastic racing on Saturday night in the finale. The 50 lapper for the World of Outlaws late model series was a barn burner. Tim McCready led a ton of laps on that one, but Devin Moran and Hudson O'Neill got into the mix late. O'Neill took the lead from Moran on lap 46, drove on to the $20,000 win. The wild part, though, was O'Neill started the feature from the 23rd position. He had a subpar qualifying effort, had to battle the rest of the night. He needed a B-main transfer to even get into the big show. His 23rd to the win charge tied the second biggest run uh, up through the field over the past 178 outlaw races that I have in the database over at dirttracker.com. He tied Brandon Shepard, who went 25th to 3rd at Volusia in 2022, and Shannon Babb, who went 25th to 3rd at Davenport last August. The only bigger charge I have in the database was from Dave Hess at Erie's in 2021. He went 25th to 2nd. And after leading most of the show, McCready had to settle for 4th, but it was enough to win him the Big Gator Championship for the week. McCready is the only driver to finish top 5 in all four Outlaw shows to start the year. Because of the points bonus for Outlaw full-timers, Chris Madden currently leads the standings over Brian Shirley and Kyle Bronson. The series is off for a few weeks now. They'll return March 3rd at Smoky Mountain Speedway in Tennessee. Dirt Car Series finale was also entertaining at Volusia. Again, we saw a last lap pass for the win. Jack Laner and Rick Laubach battled each other for much of the 50 laps, with each taking turns out front. Late, though, ninth starting Matt Williamson was lurking, and he pounced on the final lap. Laner led at the white flag, but got held up on the bottom by the lap car of Jimmy Phelps, and Money Matt drove by on the high side to score the win, which also earned him the week-long Big Gator Championship. Not a bad trip south for Williamson, and a good way to start the year. Big blocks don't race again until March 31st when they head to Atomic Speedway in Ohio. Big kudos to uh, World Racing Group and Volusia Speedway Park for a kick-ass two weeks of racing there. They did have some weather here and there, but the track was super racy, especially for week two. That facility has come a long way since I started going there in 2014. Across the state at Bubba Raceway Park on Saturday night, we had a scary moment in the USAC Sprint Car B-Main. Kevin Newton got high in turned four, caught the outside wall. He then went for a big ride down the front stretch and actually wiped out part of the catch fencing. He was okay. He emerged from his car after just a few seconds, but the track did have to do some repairs to get the show going again. Uh, just like Volusia, the Friday show was lost to rain later in the feature on Saturday night though, Brady Bacon led 31 of 35 laps, but a mistake in lap traffic cost him the win in that one. He slid high coming to four to go, and Kyle Cummins snuck by to take the top spot. That ended up being the race-winning move, with Cummins topping Bacon and C.J. Leary at the end. It was a rough week for Cummins and his race team. They blew two engines early on. They needed a Hail Mary run with a third engine from Chet Williams and Jay Harrington to even complete the weekend. Worked out, though. They had a fifth-place finish on Thursday and the win on Saturday. USAC National Sprint Car Series goes quiet now until April 1st at Lawrenceburg. Brady Bacon leads the way too early point standings over Leary and Justin Grant. uh, Just two shows complete there. A couple of other news items for you today. First, back on Friday, the XR Super Series announced a point fund for the 2023 season. Late Model Series didn't have a points championship per se in 2022, but are stepping up for this year with $300,000 available. The 10 race series will pay $75,000 to the champion, with everyone down to 24th in the standings making money. Perfect attendance isn't required, and competitors can run the other national tours along with XR with no conflicts. The full breakdown is available over at XRSuperseries.com. Also on Friday, thanks to a tweet from my guy Blake Anderson, we found out that the Dirt Cup, now the Super Dirt Cup at Skagit Speedway, will pay $62,000 to win later this year. There's also lap money available, and the bump makes this show the 6th highest paying 410 race this season. New ownership group at Skagit continues to push things along with 410 racing out on the west coast. And finally today, if you want to know how fickle the dirt racing community is, let me point you to Lincoln Speedway in Pennsylvania. The track is set to open the Central PA 410 schedule this coming weekend with the icebreaker. Temps for Saturday and Sunday though look pretty damn cold, so the track added a race night on Thursday to at least try and guarantee some racing this week. The forecast for Thursday is for a high of 76. But instead of being applauded for adding a race night and trying to make something happen, the online comments are pretty wild. There's some good in there, but a lot of people upset uh, are you know are, are in there upset over the late addition, the late notice. I was critical, my, myself personally, not long ago for the track, cutting down its streaming schedule with Flow, but I'm with the promoters on this one. A really nice day is forecasted. Tickets are 20 bucks. 5000 win sprint cars. I'm not sure what there is to be mad about here. Lincoln did say they will continue to monitor conditions for the weekend and make updates where appropriate. Uh, the only items on today's streaming schedule are Flow Racing 24-7 and Dirt Vision Now. To see the full daily streaming schedule with links to watch, visit dirttracker.com. Hope you guys have a good Monday out there. We'll see you right back here tomorrow.